This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Picture yourself in an underwater world. The world of the sea lion on the west coast of North America, where an ecological puzzle has become unexpectedly complicated. This is a story of oceans, rivers, salmon, and survival. It's also a story of bombs, guns, and billion-dollar infrastructures. It's a story that's been told before, but not like this, because this is an opportunity to take to the water and channel your inner sea lion to find out just what it takes to maneuver in an ever-changing aquatic world when everyone wants a piece of the prize. From KUOW in Seattle, I'm Chris Morgan. Welcome to the wild. Imagine you're a sea lion. You're a 900-pound male California sea lion at sea. You're entering the prime of life. Five years old, eight feet long, bold and brave, but a little naive. The sea is your complete comfort zone. You've been out here at sea for six straight days, away from land, and you're hungry. You might even be a bit irritable. Cruising through the green kelp, twisting and turning like underwater flight, you follow your nose, whiskers feeling their way. You swim through a dense shawl of smelt. The little fish are easy to catch, so you grab two of them and guzzle them down. They ease the hunger a little bit, for now. A few days ago, you were in the place of your birth, way down south, the Channel Islands of California near Los Angeles. You were there to breed. And this year, you hit your stride as an emerging dominant male. You sired eight pups from as many females. But that was all a thousand miles ago. And now instinct and your big brain and your youthful curiosity have driven you north, way north, on a migration. Occasionally, you travel with other males heading north to the coastal waters of Washington, Canada, and even Alaska. You're fast and sleek, a powerful predator, but you're also prey. Your flank has scars across it from the time you got away from the teeth of an orca last year. But nothing will stop you from finding what drives you, food. Quite suddenly, something changes. The taste of the water is different. It's turned from salty to fresh. This is the mouth of the Columbia River. It's three miles wide right here, where the river spills into the Pacific Ocean between the states of Oregon and Washington. Whoosh! A giant silver fish flashes past your face. Whoa, it startled you. And without even thinking, you bank right and pile after the fish with a thrust of your enormous flippers. You've now entered a different ecosystem. And as a sea creature, it's a place you know nothing about. 
you have no idea what's ahead on this river. No other river pours more water into the Pacific from the North American continent than the Columbia River. Other giant rivers, themselves legendary, pour into the Columbia. And it's here that a strange chase begins. The giant silver fish you are chasing is a Chinook salmon, 50 pounds of determined muscle. No wonder they call them kings. And this is where your plans to head north change. You're sleek. Your body drives through the water after the fish. You're a perfectly tuned underwater version of the sea lion most humans don't ever see. If anyone can catch that fish, you can. But it's not easy. It's a race that's evolved over millions of years. And the salmon is as good at escaping as you are at chasing, even at 25 miles an hour. It's an evolutionary arms race. The Chinook is the largest salmon in the Pacific. Their meat is packed with 30,000 delicious calories. And they're on a mission too. This female salmon, whose tail you're on, she's been at sea for four years. But her life started in the river, as an egg in a small tributary of the Columbia River up in the mountains. Then, as a 12-inch yearling, she swam down this very same river towards the sea. Four years at sea have toughened her, but now she's back in fresh water, and it's the beginning of the end of a really long journey for her. She's heading home, back to her birthplace in that mountain stream. She has a fight on her hands to get there, though. You find the taste of the fresh water strange, but other than that, this still feels as big as the sea here. It doesn't feel like a river at all. But it doesn't even matter. You're just following the food, and the food is heading upriver, away from the sea and everything you know. You push on against the steady flow of the river, and it feels unusual to you. It's different to the tides you're used to. You sense it's worth it. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. When Lewis and Clark were here in 1805, 35 sea lion generations ago, they saw a river very different to today's. Native American people were living from the riches of the water and the land, people that gave the mighty Chinook salmon its name. The place was throbbing with life back then, beavers making ponds, bears eating berries, huge flocks of birds, wolves chasing elk. In the 1800s, over 10 million salmon would return to the Columbia River. It's closer to 2 million today. Because of habitat loss and lower water quality, a warming climate. And to make matters worse, fewer fish have to feed more hungry mouths, including the sea lions, whose numbers are actually up. Protection in the 70s worked for the sea lions. So now we have a protected species, the sea lion, chasing an endangered one, the salmon. Your race for the salmon continues up the river. Through the surface of the water, you see buildings on the shore. Always curious, you pop your head up for a look. There's a wooden dock, and it's packed with sea lions. There must be a hundred or more of them. They're piled two or even three deep in places. They're a social bunch. And there are more now than there ever have been. You haul out and join them. Time for a rest. Conserve some energy. But most of these guys won't be as ambitious as you. You were born with extra drive and extra strength. 
About 1,600 sea lions have entered the river, but only one in 10 of you will push onwards, a long way onwards. Smell guides the salmon. She's stopped eating since she hit the fresh water. She's carrying 15,000 eggs, and her only remaining task in life is to lay them in the tributary she was born. The male salmon are on the same journey to fertilize them. So her 100% focus is making it there, home, which is 200 miles upstream, a journey that will take her about 18 days. At SoundSide, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting SoundSide as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you, KUOW listeners, want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for SoundSide at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the SoundSide podcast. The trundle of logging trucks vibrates through the water. You can feel it in your long whiskers. You're now in really unfamiliar territory. Human dwellings are everywhere, and they seem very close. Voices carry across the water. The river becomes narrower now. You're 50 miles from the coast. A huge Chinook zips by, and right on its tail, a massive sea lion, twice your size. It's a stellar sea lion, an intimidating 2,000 pounds. You keep swimming, following the salmon, 70 miles upriver, 80, 90 miles, and past 100. You're feeling quite alone. You've not seen another sea lion for a while, and you wonder if you'll ever catch a fish. The ocean is a long way behind now. The water is murky, thick with silt. 140 miles upstream, and you start to hear a strange, distant rumble. It vibrates the entire river, and it's getting louder. A shadow in the sky, a bald eagle suddenly swoops down overhead, scattering a dozen noisy gulls that are hovering above. They've found salmon remains in the water. Then suddenly, there's mayhem. It's like the water has turned into a bubbling cauldron. The salmon in front of you is totally disoriented in the frothy white water. You lunge hard at the fish with a huge push of your giant flippers, but you miss. Another sea lion speeds in from nowhere, darts past you and grabs the fish. More salmon zip past, and two other sea lions. For every salmon, there are several sea lions now. All hell is broken loose. Then, through the murky water, you see something white ahead. As you swim closer, it gets bigger and bigger. Suddenly, the river stops, and you can't go any further. A wall. A wall has trapped the fish. A lot of fish. And they're easy prey now. And it's game on. Suddenly, life is good. The wall is a dam. Bonneville Dam. It was built in the 1930s during the Great Depression at a cost of $83 million. That's about $1.5 billion today. And the Bonneville Dam, it didn't just bring electricity, it also brought hope, partly in the form of thousands of jobs to fuel a nation that was thirsty for good news and growth. A rise of human willpower and ability, conquering nature, and even holding back water 
including a man-made lake, a 50-mile-long reservoir, taming this mighty river. But it's also become the focal point for a struggle for survival involving humans, salmon, and you, the sea lion. As you chase another cornered fish, you begin to surface out of the water. You see the white concrete wall rise to the sky, 200 feet high and 1,000 feet wide. And that's when you hear it. A huge explosion booms through the water and shakes every fiber of your sea lion body. The fish scatter. You're dazed and terrified. You've never felt anything like this before. In a panic, you swim to the surface to figure out what's happening. Then you see a boat, a boat full of humans. For the last 146 miles, you've been chasing salmon, but the tables have turned. Now you're the one being chased. And the men on the boat want you out of here. And if that takes underwater explosives and shotgun bangers, then that's what'll happen. These Native American men are the defenders of the Chinook, their lifeblood. If these fish don't make it upstream, then their ancient cycle is over. Scaring away sea lions like this is legal. Some of the more troublesome ones are even euthanized. And Native Americans depend on the salmon they have for thousands of years. But the dam has thrown the ecosystem out of whack. For salmon to get past the dam, they have to swim up a series of man-made elevated water pools, a fish ladder. But first, they have to survive the gauntlet of hungry sea lions, up to 300 of them during spring, that have learned to catch the salmon at the base of the dam. In spring, the sea lions can eat around 20 to 40% of the Chinook here. Future generations of salmon are under threat. And Native Americans are doing what they can to protect the salmon and this ancient cycle. And it's not just people who depend on these fish, but countless other species too, from orcas to bears. What's most surprising is that the salmon are still here at all. The odds are against them from the moment they're born. But some do make it to the stream of their birth, where they will lay their eggs and die. Her body returning nutrients to the water and the forests. With some luck, her offspring will then head downriver, ocean-bound, for the ancient cycle to begin all over again. An ancient cycle in a modern human world, and a new kind of normal. A normal where sometimes the pieces of the puzzle don't quite fit like they used to, and where nobody is really the winner. It's been an experience for you, the sea lion, but the explosions are all too much, and you retreat from the dam. But at least you caught two salmon, and not only that, you learned a lot along the way. But the salt water is calling you back, and eventually home to California, all those miles away. This is what you do. You survive and learn. And you'll most likely be back here next year, playing your role in an ecological puzzle and the complicated path of the Chinook. Ecology is complicated, and so is this story. You can learn more about this issue at our website, kuow.org slash thewild. 
On our next episode, we hear from two filmmakers who spent four months in the Antarctic documenting penguins. Imagine standing in uh, a crowd of 500,000 Joe Pesci's from Goodfellas. It's kind <laughs> of like that, and they go completely nuts. The Wild is inspired not just by nature, but by people who work in it, love it, protect it. There's a ton of information on the website if you want to find out more. The Wild is a production of KUOW in Seattle, in partnership with my work at Chris Morgan Wildlife. Our producer is Matt Martin. Jim Gates is our editor. Brendan Sweeney is our managing producer. Our fact checker is April Craig. We had engineering help from David Brown. Our theme music is by Michael Parker. I'm your host, Chris Morgan. Thanks for listening. At Soundside, we bring you news and conversation rooted in the Pacific Northwest. Hi, I'm Libby Denkman. I think of my job hosting Soundside as number one, asking tough questions of powerful people, the questions you KUOW listeners want answered. And two, bringing you a daily slice of the fascinating, confounding, and often goofy side of life in Washington State. Join me for Soundside at noon and 8 p.m. on KUOW or anytime on the Soundside podcast.